Yesterday, I talked about uh, how God protects His Word, and we talked about uh, how God protects His text. We talked about during the days of Jeremiah, uh, there was a king named Jehoiakim who thought he could destroy God's Word with a penknife. He's dead, and the Bible continues. And then this morning, we saw in the Sunday school hour that uh, there was some uh, German soldiers who thought they could destroy God's Word with a bayonet. Those soldiers are dead, and that Word is here with us this morning. And so God has a way of protecting His Word, and I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Let's turn to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. <clears throat> we'll start reading in verse number 8. Colossians chapter number 3. I'll ask you to stand with me one more time uh, in reverence to the Word of God. Colossians chapter number 3, if you're able, we'll start reading in verse number 8. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 8. But now ye also put off all these. Here comes a list for us. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. By the way, if we just followed that list, it would be a pretty good world. Put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Verse 16 is our text. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's pray and ask God to bless His word, and then you can be seated and we'll share some thoughts here from the book of Colossians. Lord, thank you for what we've already heard this morning. Thank you for the great lesson during the Sunday School Hour of your protection for the Word of God and how it sits in front of us this morning as a testimony to your promises. Thank you for the singing we've heard during this service here and uh, for the spirit by which it's been given. And now, Lord, I pray you'd bless the preaching of the Word of God. I pray you'd challenge us, correct us where needed. As a result of that, we'd leave this service this morning closer to you than when we walked in. Well, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In verse number 16, Paul says that the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly. By way of just introduction this morning, uh, Brother Andrew mentioned I grew up in Georgia. My wife is from Michigan. We met in college in Tennessee and moved to California. So we've been everywhere. Uh, and we have crisscrossed, uh, I think, every, every state in between. We don't fly a lot. We drive. So we drove from California here, made a road trip out of it. Uh, we'll leave here tonight and drive further and uh, just make some memories and get the girls sick of the car. And so that's sort of our goal. Well, being from Georgia, when we moved to California, no family there. If you were to take a pen on a map and put it where my grandparents live, they're both in heaven now, but if you were to put a pen there on that map and draw a circle with a 20-mile radius, my entire family would be there. 
my parents thought when I went to Tennessee to go to college, that was too far. Uh, and so uh, that's just sort of the way I grew up. Well, because of being away from family, often my wife's mom would come and visit us. I use the word visit loosely. I think the biblical word is abide. <laughs> uh, she became more than a guest. She began to have her mail delivered and uh, packages delivered. And, and uh, there was a special slot on for our mailman who recognized she was a, an extended member of the family. And, and she didn't just visit. She wasn't just a guest. She dwelt there. She abode there. When we read the commandment here in Colossians 3.16, Paul is not commanding us to let the Word of God visit us occasionally. He's not asking it to allow us to allow the Word of God to be a guest in our lives on occasion. Sunday morning would be a good time. He's not asking it to be a guest. He's commanding us to let the Word of Christ, the Word of God, dwell, live, abide, richly. And the word picture there is that of a a river that's overflowing its banks. So that there's so much word of God in you, it just sort of spills out and touches everybody around you. This is the command. There's another command here in verse number 15. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He gives us two imperatives in verse 15 and 16. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You say, that sort of sounds like maybe a suggestion. Well, if you're a parent, you understand that sometimes we can give polite commands. And if our kids don't obey, we say, that really wasn't a suggestion. Uh, And so Paul was doing that here. Paul hasn't been to Colossae. This isn't the church he founded. He knows the pastor. He trained that pastor. And he's writing back to that pastor's church there where Philemon is a member and and others that are mentioned in the book of Colossae and the book of Philemon. And so Paul writes back to him and says, hey, let me give you some some instructions. Let the peace of God rule in your heart and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Those two commands go together. You don't really have the peace of God ruling or umpiring for you unless the word of Christ dwells in you. And so since they're so connected, and by the way, David understood, this is the psalmist understood this, he said, great peace have they, great peace have they, great peace have they, which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. In other words, uh, when you have a great love for the word of God, there's also a great peace that goes with that. And so with that being in mind, I'm going to focus on this command that says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The book of Colossae, or Colossians, It's an interesting book. It reminds the believers that they are complete in Christ. We're not missing anything. God isn't holding anything back from us. We have everything we need. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We can be a successful, victorious Christian in this world today, in this present darkness. Why? Because Christ is our all. We're complete in Him. We have everything that we need. Uh, when we uh, take these road trips, often we go through these checklists and we want to know, did we bring this? Who brought that? And sometimes we get somewhere and we realize, hey, did you bring that? No, I thought you had that. No, I, I, thought, I told you to get that. And the kids are like, we don't even know what you're talking about. And, and so we get someplace and we realize, praise God for Walmart. You know, we have to go maybe sometimes uh, get a substitute. And in our Christian journey, we never have to worry about leaving something behind because he's in us. We're complete in Him. And so, in the book of Colossians, He reminds us that we're complete in Christ. Christ is our Lord. He's our our life. He's our love. He's all that we need. Looking in chapter number 2, Paul says, I would that you knew what great conflict I had for you. It's where we get our English word agony. Paul says, I have this great agony. I'm agonizing in my spirit for you. Here it is. I I want Christ to be formed in you. I, I want you to understand that your hearts can be knit together. He says, I want you to be everything 
that God wants you to be. And so, with that in mind, we're going to sort of start from the back. We know the goal. The goal is we want God's Word to dwell in us richly. That's where we're heading. Then we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to understand what are the evidences that that has taken place. And if those evidences are missing, then we need to come back to Paul's command and say, all right, I've been disobedient. Help me now to be obedient and help God's Word to dwell in me richly. And so with that in mind, let's look at Colossians chapter number 2. We'll see this first evidence that God's Word is dwelling with you, not just visiting. Often I would maybe spend the night with maybe a friend or something on a Saturday night that went to our church, and, and sometimes the conversation would go like this. They would call the son that I was maybe spending the night with, and they'd go, hey, where, where's my Bible? It's time for church. Where's my Bible? Got to get my Bible. It's time for church. Today, it's uh, sort of difficult to maybe to forget it because we have so many electronic devices that have it on there for us. But in the old days, we, we brought a printed Bible and we brought it to church. And, and, and the, the idea for the pastor's perspective was that wasn't the first time we had saw it since last Sunday. There was a day when people were not just people who came to church. They were people of the book. Amen. It wasn't just the church house for fellowship. It was getting into the Word of God personally and the Word of Christ dwelling richly in them. So what are the evidences that that is taking place in our life? Number one, in Colossians 2, verse 7, Paul says, You're rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. And because you're rooted and because you're built up, you need to beware because there's sometimes these men who want to spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. As a teenager, I thought my spiritual gift was taking the Bible out of context. I thought that was my spiritual gift. I had a verse for everything to justify why I should do something or why I shouldn't do something. And amazingly enough, the things I didn't want to do were what the Bible said not to do, and the things I wanted to do were the things I could make the Bible say I wanted to do. I, I had this spiritual, quote-unquote, spiritual gift of taking the Bible out of context. And so I was sitting one day in my freshman year of college, and Dr. Mark Rasmussen was my teacher. He was teaching a class called Philosophy of Christian Education. Philosophy. So I took out a 3 by 5 card. I wrote down Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And I handed that to him and said, This is God's will for my life not to take this class. And so he uh, was also really good at taking the Word of God out of context. And he said, I have a verse for you, Mike. Great. What is it, sir? He said, the wicked shall be cut off short. <laughs> he began to make fun of my height. Later on, I was reading through the book of Proverbs, and I found that the liberal soul shall be made fat, and so we called that even. Uh, having some fun with him on that one. When we read this idea here of rooted, here's the picture that Paul was trying to create in our mind. Permanence. Permanence. Not like the pine trees that get blown over with the strong wind, but like the mighty oaks whose roots go deep down. Uh, like that, that planted by a river of water shall not be moved. It reminds us, those that are rooted in Christ, they understand their permanent position in Christ. I don't wake up in the morning and wonder, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Just like I don't wake up wondering, am I a Lester? Am I not a Lester? Am I a Lester? Am I not a Lester? I'm a child of the Lesters, and I'm a child of God. And there's a permanency to that. 
The Bible doesn't command me to be born again and again and again and again. When I was born to my earthly family and my mom gave birth and she would tell you after 18 long hours of labor and I almost died having you and you ought to be so grateful for me. And I've heard that story often as well. After all of that labor and bringing me into this world, no one said, that was fun. Would you like to do that again? That wasn't an option. There was a permanency there to that birth. Rooted means the roots are going deep and you're reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. Or as the theme is, we're renewing that knowledge. We're not letting it be forgotten. We're rooted in Christ. We're rooted. There's a permanency here. And the idea is as we're rooted and we understand the depth, then we're able to build up as well. If the roots don't go deep, we have a hard time building up. And so he says, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be built up. He said, I want you to be established or strengthened in the faith. When we're strengthened in the faith, we're talking about our body of beliefs. Isn't it amazing how many people claim the name of Christ, but they teach things the Bible doesn't teach? They take positions that the Bible doesn't advocate. Why is that? Because the word of Christ isn't dwelling richly in them. When the word of Christ dwells richly, there's this permanency that begins to strengthen our faith. And as a result, we're able to give a reason of the hope that's within us to anyone who asks. Rooted. The idea here of being established and understanding our permanent position in Christ. But notice Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ. So we're rooted in Christ in verse number 7 of chapter 2. In chapter 3 verse 1. Now we're risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things above. On the earth. If rooted deals with our permanence, then risen deals with our perspective. He says, set your affections on things above. Don't look at the world through Hollywood's eyes, to borrow from where I'm living at. I live roughly 80 miles from Hollywood. It's, uh, it's not a Christian city. They're, they're not making films right now about the family. They're not making films right now about how to live holy and godly in this present world. That's not their mission. And I can't view this world through the lens they set in front of me. Or I'll have the wrong perspective. God said, look, my perspective changes when I put these on. Right now, frankly, you all look the same. I can take the verse literally, there's neither male nor female. I can't tell the difference right now. Uh, there's neither bond nor free, Greek, whatever. Uh, you all look the same. So how do we look? Blurry. That's how you look. I can't, I can't tell you apart. It, 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 I, I memorize where people sit. So I know my wife is sitting here, so I know to give the right woman the right hug. I'm not going to do that wrong. I know where she's sitting at, but I, I can't make her out from this distance. But something changes when I put these on. The world becomes clearer because my perspective changes. Here's what the Word of God, when it dwells in us, does. It changes our perspective. We see the world differently. All of a sudden, it's not the driver who cut us off on the freeway. It's a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. It's not a neighbor who has loud parties on Saturday night when they know I go to church. It's a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. 
the perspective changes. All of a sudden, when the word of Christ begins to dwell in us richly, it just starts overflowing, and we see the world with a new perspective. We have not an earthly view, but a heavenly view. That doesn't mean we sit on our lofty heights and look down at the world. No, that's not what it means. It means we see the world through God's eyes. If you then be risen with Christ, then understand your perspective. You said, you said we're talking about the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Correct. And when it does, you're reminded that you're rooted in him. There's a permanency. You're not, you're not questioning your salvation. You've moved beyond that, and you're pressing on the upward way. There's this not only a permanency, but there's this perspective because we understand that Christ has been raised. Look at chapter 3 again. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek, pursue, go after. Not seeking after that which gives instant gratification. Not seeking after the promotion at work. Not seeking after the next material gain. But seeking those things which are above. Where Christ sits. That's, that's where we're in him and that's where he's sitting at the right hand of God. And so we set, we direct, we, we place our affections that way. Because you and I, biblically speaking, because of the position we have in Christ, we're dead. The old man died. The Mike Lester that existed between, before November 18, 1983, he's dead. And I have a new life because now I've been taken out of Adam and I've been placed into Christ. And as a result of that, I'm made to sit in heavenly places right now in Christ Jesus. Because of that, there's therefore now no condemnation. I'm in Christ. I'm in him. And I'm dead. My life is hid with him. Christ, he is my life. He will appear. And I will also appear with him in glory. What a great promise. One day I will appear with him in a glorified body. It'll be six foot tall. <laughs> muscular. I won't wear glasses. I'll have hair. Brother Andrew. <laughs> Yesterday as I got out of the car, one of Brother Andrew's kids opened, opened the door and they looked at me and said, Where's your hair? And I said, I left it at home. And uh, so one day in my glorified body, I'll look a little different. You'll still know me, but, but I won't look the same. I'm going to appear with him one day in glory. Why? Because I'm in Christ. So Paul says, hey, I want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Here's some evidences of it. Evidence number one, you're rooted in Christ and you understand that permanent position. You can't be shaken from that. You're not up and down on a roller coaster questioning your salvation. That's been settled. Just like your physical birth date, your spiritual birth date, it's been settled. And by the way, if that hasn't been settled for you yet, today's the day. Amen. Not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. That's what, the Bible, that's what the Bible invitation is. Today is the day of salvation. Right now. On this date here in the year 2019 and this Sunday in June, today could be your day to get that settled. And as the word of Christ begins to dwell in you richly, not only do you understand that permanence, but you also understand your position. You're, 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 you're set with your affections on Christ, and as a result of that, your perspective changes. But I want to give you a final characteristic this morning, an evidence of someone who's the word of Christ is dwelling in them. Look at chapter number 3 again, and let's look at verse number 8, 9, and 10. Chapter 3, verse 8, But now you also put off these, anger. What's the news? There's a lot of people that are angry today. They get angry over the 
silliest things. Someone wears a red shirt or a red hat that says, Make America Great Again, and it's war. Somebody wants to pass a law that says you can't abort when there's a heartbeat there. There's a war. There's a lot of anger in the world we live in today. The be and let be days, don't see those as much. Everybody has an opinion, and theirs is the right one, and if you don't have their opinion, they're going to let you know about it. There's anger, a lot of anger. I told the class yesterday that when my wife and I put a sign in our front yard to uh, take our stand against homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage in California, three different occasions somebody ripped the sign out of our yard. Why is that? There's anger, a lot of anger. And for those that are in Christ, we put that off. A spirit-filled man is not known as an angry man. That's a contradiction in terms. Anger. He says, put away wrath, malice, that, that conniving thought process of how I can get even with someone. Blasphemy. I don't get mad, I get even. Well, that's covered here too. Got to put that off. Blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. There was a day when certain words weren't even used on public television. Not now. Not now. There was a day when G rating actually meant, <laughs> meant something. Uh, today, you don't always find that. Filthy communication is everywhere. People are lying one to another. Uh, how do you know he's not telling the truth? His lips are moving. That's not a joke anymore. It's become too characteristic of our generation. And those that are in Christ are putting that off because they put off the old man with his deeds and they've put on the new man. And here's the characteristic. They're being renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Here's what this third characteristic is. Not only are they rooted, not only are they risen, but they're renewing themselves in knowledge. And not just any knowledge, because knowledge isn't the goal. Knowledge puffs up, and God hates pride. That's not the goal. The goal is growing in knowledge about the image of Jesus Christ. When God created man, he made us in his image. And that image was marred as a result of the fall. And the work of sanctification in our life is Jesus recreating that image in us again. We're being renewed in that. So if one talks about the permanence and one talks about the perspective, this one talks about a pursuit. A pursuit. Something we are living for. Something we're passionate about. I only need to talk with you five minutes to find out what you're passionate about. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long at all. If you only had five minutes to talk with me, what would you talk about? What are you passionate about? The pursuit here that Paul is getting this church at Colossae to think about is pursuing after the knowledge of the one who's creating us, recreating us in the image of Christ. He says in verse number 18, we're to put off the old man. And here's the, the language he uses. It's sort of like clothing. This is the old man, and I, I need to put it off. And I don't ever need to put it back on again. Because that old man is dead. I need to put that off. And then when I got saved, I put on a new man. So I put on this new man here, and I'm supposed to walk in this new man every day. I put off the old man, and I put on the new man. But then here's what happens after conversion. Look at verse number 11. We put off the old, we put on the new. Then verse 11, there's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Verse 12 Put on therefore. So I put on the new man, but I need to put something else on as the elect of God. Holy and beloved. Here's what I need to put on. Bowels of mercy or compassion. 
kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiveness, and above all these things, charity or love. Let me say it this way. When I leave the house every day, I stop by and I I have my wife look me over. I am, here's here's the confession, I'm colorblind. So a lot of times what I think matches doesn't match. And my wife will just sort of say, hmm, uh, I've got a better one. In my... <laughs> she doesn't ever just say, like, that's the craziest. She doesn't say that. She's kind about it. Have you thought about maybe wearing this tie today? And I said, well, not until you said something. And so I'll take the tie off, and I'll put that tie on. And I, I tend to memorize outfits. That's how I sort of get by. Uh, and sometimes we, we have, I have two slacks. One's a blue pair of pants, and one's a black pair of pants. And when I wear those every day, we have this conversation back and forth. Blue or black? Blue or black? Blue or black? Let me stand in this light. Let's turn on this light. Let's shine a spotlight on you. And then we, we come to a consensus, and then I, then I can get the rest of the outfit together. Do you know what happens once I choose out uh, the main garments? What I start doing after that is I start accessorizing. I want a tie that matches. I, I want a belt that matches my shoes. I want socks that aren't, like, audacious. I, I have friends who wear audacious socks and, like, you... When they come to the altar and pray, I can't help but notice their socks. I don't, I don't want to wear socks like that. Uh, and so I, I, just, I have, a, I have a, a very, very simple wardrobe. All my socks are black, so they always match. <laughs> I never have to worry about that, except for my white socks, but I can usually tell what they are. And so I'm accessorizing. Do the socks match? And do this, does the belt match? And, and, and for the ladies, does the handbag match? I've got 17 of them. Which one do I, do, I, do I carry today? And look at all these shoes in our closet. And which shoes do I wear with this outfit? And so in our house with five daughters, they, they'll come out and they're wearing two shoes. Which one do you think? This one or this one? And they're trying to accessorize. Why? They want to match. Now, when you think about that, you put on the new man. But do your actions match? So Paul was saying here, I want you to accessorize that new man. Here's the things you want to put on with that. You want to put on compassion. Not everybody has the spiritual gift of mercy. I don't. Um, My wife doesn't. It's not our spiritual gift. But whether or not that's my spiritual gift or not, I'm still commanded to put it on because it accessorizes the new man very well. Not only compassion or or these bowels of mercy, he says, I also want you to put on kindness. Kindness. It's what you're doing and what you're saying. Is it kind? Because that's a great accessory to the new man. Kindness. Then he says, humbleness of mind or humility. Humility is a lost art in our world. Everybody's a story. We're just obsessed with self. Selfies is a word that wasn't even in the dictionary when I was growing up. Selfies. Selfie stick. Self-awareness. Self this. Self that. And the Bible says those who are putting on a new man, a great accessorizing characteristic to that is humility. Not thinking of my other, not thinking of myself less, just not thinking of myself at all, but thinking of others. Notice how many times in the New Testament you come across this phrase, those one another passages. We're called to live the Christian life in a community. We need one another. And so Paul says, I want you to put on humility. Then meekness. Strength under control. Power under control. He says, I want you to put on long-suffering. 
For us, that's driving from our house to LAX. That's where we put on long suffering as everything comes to a screeching halt. You have your freeways here that you'd say the same thing about. The Bible says that tribulation works patience. So I, I learned in an early age not to pray for patience because to me that was like a recipe. God, I want patience. Okay, here's your tribulation. So I don't pray for it. So I thought I could maybe outsmart God. and I, Lord, help me to have endurance. Well, that doesn't work either. Okay, it's just a synonym. But God has a way of working this into our life. And he wants us to be long-suffering. Why? Because he's long-suffering. Quick show of hands. How many of you accepted Christ as your Savior after more than two times of hearing the gospel? You didn't get saved the first time you heard the gospel, but the second, third, or even more you heard the gospel, then you got saved. I'm just curious. Look around. Do you know what that means? God is long-suffering. The fact you heard the gospel once is more than many people in our world will ever hear. And God would have been sufficient to give you that one chance. He'd been just in doing that. But because he's long-suffering, he, he gave us another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. And so he says, I want you to accessorize your new man with long-suffering as well. Forbearing one another. Sometimes people are like, what's it like having five daughters? I have one word. Drama. <laughs> and if you have boys, you'd probably say the same thing. And so what are we trying to teach our kids as they're growing up together? How to be forbearing one with another? Because if they don't learn it in the home, guess what happens when they get adults and are in the church? Can't believe that person took my seat. We all have our seats, don't we? I probably took somebody's day, and I apologize. I don't know who you are. I probably took your seat. I apologize. I'm a guest. I claim, I claim the fifth. Uh, but I, I watch sometimes where we have some people who always sit in the same seat and a guest comes in. And you can just sort of see sometimes, like, I can't believe those ushers knew that was my seat. They gave it away. You know, and, but here he's saying, I want you to learn how to be long-suffering and how to be forbearing. And here's a good one. I want you to learn how to be forgiving. Because that's a great accessory to the new man. And then he says, above all these things, put on charity. When God's word dwells in you richly... It's not just a guest. It's living there. And you're reminded of your permanent position in Christ. You don't forget because you're rooted. Uh, something happens in church you don't like, you're not running to a new church because you're rooted. There's a maturity there. Years ago, my dad's a pastor in Georgia. Uh, we painted one of the Sunday school rooms a color other than white, and you would have thought we had somehow misinterpreted the Bible. We had people up in arms because that's the power of tradition. We start to equate the way we've always done it as though it's in the Bible somewhere. And if we can't find it, we just say it's in the Greek or today it's in the Hebrew, right? It's in there somewhere. But here's what God says. Look, when you are in the word of God and it's dwelling in you richly, you're rooted. You're not going to be tossed around with petty things. You're rooted because you understand your position in Christ. And you're, you understand that you're risen with Christ, so your perspective is different. It's different from the person who maybe you work with 9 to 5 on Monday who doesn't have a biblical perspective because you're rooted and you're risen. And then you're renewing in knowledge because you're being conformed more and more and more to look like Jesus. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we start to look like Christ. Amen. And isn't that the goal? So I challenge you this morning to do some inventory. Is the word of God dwelling with you or does it just visit occasionally you put on the new man for me November 18th 1983 but 
do the actions match? Are you accessorizing correctly? Are you putting on these other things that go with the outfit? Are you rooted? Do you understand your risen? Are you renewing in knowledge? If so, those are great evidences that the word of Christ dwells in you richly. If not, today is a great day to make a commitment to start that journey.